Welcome to Year Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to Year Full of Dirt Podcast. My name is Joshua Fredlin. You can find me at Josh Fred on Twitter. I am joined tonight by Liam Poach at Poacher Rugby on Twitter and Craig Gerdelli. You can find him at MM Fly Half on Twitter. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing fantastic, Josh. Just continuing to live the LA life. I got to go to a live uh, MLR game this past weekend, so that was pretty cool. Got to meet all the. I got to meet actual Teenies fans. Um, there, a lot of them were very teeny people, considering they were like ten. <laughs> 11 years old, but they were fans nonetheless having fun in the stands. So, yeah, no, it was a great time. Great time there. The, the Coliseum's way smaller than I thought. That was my first time at that stadium. Interesting. If you were uh, the, the year full of dirt Patreon chat, uh, I, I learned that the Guiltini itself is actually for sale. Uh, it's an interesting uh, development out in L.A., but only only for Patreon supporters. Yeah, I, I got the Try the Guiltini, um, sponsored actually by Craig Gradelli here. Uh, they were a good sixteen dollars plus tax. Craig uh, wanted to wanted to get an honest, you know, you know, word of mouth review. Sent me that money. Uh, and believe it or not, guys, a guillotini tastes like a martini, exactly like a martini. Who would have known? Brilliant. Yeah, it was not for for people who are wondering. It was not a comically large martini, which was, I guess, what I was expecting beforehand. Uh, it was just looked like a normal martini in a shaker. If anything, maybe even smaller than a normal martini. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, so, like, I, I watched them pour it. It was definitely, like, an ounce and a half pour. So, like, I wasn't disappointed. But at the same time, it was just the lack of pizzazz, of aesthetic value. Like, you know, I, I, I forgot the shaker, like, the souvenir shaker at the stadium, too. Because, like, on top of it, I had, like, four. Like, isn't, four isn't a martini normally a four ounce of... Uh, of liquor pour. Anyway, I don't know. It's been a long yeah. time since I bartended. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that was, uh, that was the highlight of my, of my weekend was Liam's uh, guiltini review. Uh, <laughs> how are you, Josh? Uh, you know, it's good. It's gotten warmer. It's going to snow this weekend. So I'm not looking forward to that, but you know, it's, it's great. You know, we're in the middle of the season. We have consistent action. It's, you know, some some backward steps taken, but we've also gotten, you know, more competitive action than I feel, at least I feel we've had in seasons past. All right. Love in some it. games. In in, some yes. Games. In, some, <laughs> in some games, we have to, we do have to preface that. <laughs> I, I, I give all credit. I give all credit to Aaron Castro, the new head honcho of MLR, our former uh, podcast alumni. Uh, so good, good work on developing the season out there, Aaron. And if you ever have complaints about international slots, he's the one you complain to. <laughs> At the Strobro on Twitter. <laughs> complaints about anything, really. Send them his way. True. That, that, I would say that is true. All right. Let's move into this week's action. You know, for, we got to get the blowouts out of the way. Lucky they were the first two games of the week. So <laughs> that, was, that was good on everyone's part. First up, uh, Toronto on the road at Old Glory, D.C., Lucas Rumble coming away with a black eye. Uh, Toronto, 29 to 5 was the final score. Liam, what'd you see? So it's hard to believe that, first off, it's hard to believe that this game was actually scoreless for the first 15 minutes. I don't know if you guys recall that because everybody just kind of turned it off once Toronto started to 
lay on the SmackDown. But it's even harder to believe that uh, OGDC actually got the first try of that game thanks to a pretty well-executed mall. Um, but, you know, eventually Toronto's offense, their attack became a lot more consistent. They began to control the ball a lot more so that OG couldn't even get an opportunity to respond. Uh, you look at guys like Lucas Rumble before he got the black guy. He got the first score uh, of the game for his team. Thanks to guys like Sam Malcolm and uh, Gaston Mieres that they did a great job of sending the ball out wide. Um, a, a little bit on the downside, I think this Toronto team is a little bit inconsistent um, with their inside play, uh, like, you know, like with, with their short window passing. But the outside, starting starting with guys like De La Vega, uh, they have guys who can punish you on the outside. And, of course, inside guys, even like Lucas Rumble, who can who can do their own damage to the outside. Uh, I think this this is the kind of team that can strike quickly, can get some really pretty phase play uh, in, in terms of the passing, uh, in terms of the passing game. Uh, OGDC is one of the slowest teams I have I have seen in MLR thus far, just in terms of getting, uh, you know, of of kind of rearranging themselves, the the offense to defense transitions, uh, just you know, getting away from breakdowns and like like doing things as simple as covering gaps at the post. Um, I think I, I thought Toronto they had their their pace of play was moving pretty fluidly, pretty consistently. They were able to take a lot of they were able to take advantage of a lot of those opportunities that OG was kind of leaving open for them. And we've seen this for OG throughout the entire season. Season the uh, the Free Jacks were able to uh, get get a pretty big victory with like five or six tries in that game, thanks to the exact same issues. So a, a team like Toronto, I think we've all kind of agreed. We'll talk about this later. Is kind of mid tier in terms of in terms of MLR talent level. But I think this game proved that OG is pretty much at the bottom right there with Dallas. Don't insult Dallas that way. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, look, I, I didn't have anything to add to that. I think that was a, a good summary. Old, Old Glory really having trouble with the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I, you know, we've said it every week, so I don't want to be a dead horse. But I, I do want to say, what is going on with Jameson Fon on Schultz? Because I like the way he plays. I, I thought last year he was a, a real weapon for old glory. Um, and I don't, no pun intended, uh, but he got a red card last year and he missed some time. And now he's got, a, I believe it was a five game suspension uh, based on the, the review, which, which was reviewed live and he got no citation at all. But then I guess after the fact, the citation committee gave him a five game suspension, uh, which was deserved. It was a violent, completely unnecessary play. Uh, look, we, we team. He's an eagle. You know, Jameson Bonner Schultz is, is a capped eagle, competing for the eight shirt, the starting eight shirt potentially, or any you know any loose forward job in the Eagles, which I think are all frankly you know up for grabs. I and mean, Cam Dolan is is getting up there now in age and caps. Uh, I feel like Fauna Schultz was one of the leading contenders for that that shirt. I think he's kind of. I mean, I don't want to say he's pissing away his chances. It's a little dramatic, but I mean, I, I hate to see him hurt his own chances to to make that kind of leap with completely unnecessary, ill-disciplined play. Uh, really, I mean, just really cynical sort of stuff. Um, so, I mean, hopefully, this doesn't become a trend with him. I mean, I think he, if, if I recall, I think he had a three-game suspension, or he served three games of MLR suspension, and I believe his. Uh, citation was on the Eagles. You know, it was it was from a USA match last time, and now he's got five this year. And that's a lot of MLR time to miss in two seasons uh, due to citations. Uh, so, 
you hate to see that for a young up and coming guy. And I think he has a lot of talent and I think he could be a, a real contributor to the Eagles. So hopefully, you know, he, he's able to write that particular part of his ship going forward. Mm-hmm, for sure. And, um, you know, I got to work with Jameson uh, during uh, our brief time there together in Houston. Uh, again, like again, like you said, he's somebody who I really look forward to seeing playing for the USA Eagles for the next few years. Um, you know, he definitely has starter ability. He has that, you know, he has that sort of innate quickness that you want from an eight man who can be able to, uh, you know, take the ball out of the scrum, uh, you know, and make people pay on that short game at coming out of the pack. Was it him that scored that one try for OG? Because I, because I know it was off a of mall. Look real quick. It might have. Yeah, remember. Because you know, because that's that's the kind of thing that you like out of um, you know, because that, that's the kind of thing that you like out of Jameson uh, Pana Schultz is he's quick, but he's still that he still has that uh, that brute physicality that you want of, of anybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, and in, he gets in there in tight space. Yeah. You know, he's not afraid to put a lower his shoulder on a, a highly contested rock uh, and come away with with a jackal. But it's like it's a trade off, I guess. Is that sort of intensity? You get fired up in the moment, I, I suppose, and and then you lash out. He's he's got to be able to restrain that part, I and mean, he's got to control the lash out, uh, or else it's, the rest of it's for nothing. Yeah, they, you know he he they remember. I think a lot of people had problems with the TMO just a little bit in this game, you know, for that because that was plainly missed. You could see it on the replay. Um, there was another Toronto try that was overturned that some people were questionable. I. I could maybe see it being 50 50. I know some people were more leaning towards it was the wrong call. But, um, and, and then um, Jamison also got a yellow card in this game, too. Did so, he? That, yeah, he picked, he picked it up at the 42nd minute, according to um, Brian Ray over at America's Rugby News. Yeah. So you always, it's always immediate. Whenever Toronto's playing, I just enjoy following Brian Ray's Twitter feeds. It's just him <laughs> complaining about, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, the lineups are wrong. They just said the guy's name wrong, which is all <laughs> valid complaints. Uh, but sure. you, you can tell he's tuned into Toronto because there he's, you know, he's right on it with, with that all Toronto game. Show me a single rugby game in the history of televised rugby where every single name is pronounced correctly. Yeah, well, I think yeah. I mean, there is. I think it's less a pronunciation thing and more of them calling the wrong person by someone else's name in this case. But uh, yeah, at least they got the team name right. We haven't we haven't seen the Dallas Jackets since week one, so I guess that's progress. Yeah. And um, uh, and there's there's definitely a few people out there who might not be able to tell the difference between the New England Free Jacks and Old Glory DC whenever they're playing on the field. I don't want yeah, to name yeah, exactly. exactly. That's that's the, the Brian Ray sort of stuff more so than you know an Islander name that's hard to pronounce. Yeah, yeah. And for the record, the try for Old Glory was scored by Robbie Ormescu. Oh awesome. right, all right. So nothing for JMO. Nothing right. for JMO. All right, moving on. The other blowout of the weekend. Rugby New York, 41 to 5 over Dallas. I mean, this was just a mauling. I don't think, you know, we had Chad London, me and Chad London, and getting his try, which you, for the record was a very good try um, in my eyes. And then, but then you just had New York taking over. You know, New York's always had, you know, kind of a strong strum. Um, they've obviously taken it to the next level this year. Um, Kalolo Tuiloma had two tries for them. Um, Brad Tucker's little brother, Will Tucker. Had a try. Um, Sam Windsor had a try, but he couldn't kick. He only was one for four on his conversions. And then the Ur- the Uruguayan slash Brazilian Wilton Ribolo also had the final try in the 80th minute. 
Craig, I know this is your team. What do you see? Uh, so, I, you know, I, I spent we, – we talked about Dallas last week at some length, and I spent a good amount of time saying how I thought their attack was very dynamic. Uh, so, you know, some might say I look bad now that they only scored five points. But I'll tell you, the best way to uh, quiet a dynamic attack is to never let them have the ball, and that's pretty much what the case was here. I I know MLR is a new stat provider this year, and I think that they're getting to a better place with live game stats. It's cool that the fixtures have specific stats on the app. I at times question the accuracy of some of these stats, so I'm going to show yeah. the stat they put on the screen. I do not necessarily believe it was accurate, but it's probably at least directionally indicative of what's going on. I think New York had seven tackles or 12 tackles at the half. Uh, they only had to make 12 tackles in the first half. That's what they put on the screen. Maybe that's wrong, but they probably weren't making a ton of tackles, you know, if that's what they had on the screen. So it just goes to show, I think right now, if you look at the stats on the MLR app, New York had almost 70% possession in this game. And so that's what it is. I mean, we talked about Dallas's weaknesses. They can't scrum and their defense is inconsistent. And that's what we saw. New York kept them on defense and kept them in the scrum. And they were able to just completely control the game that way. I think they turned over, you know, four, four or five Dallas scrums uh, in this game. And Dallas just didn't have a chance to attack. Like you said, they scored a nice try when they had the ball. It just they had it so infrequently that uh, it, New York really took that a- out of their game. Hey, Craig, let me ask you a question: Does Dallas beat Nyack or Old Blue? Yes, uh, I do think yes. they do. Uh, I think it will come. Yeah, Anything? it's hard to compare a scrum. I, I think so. Yeah, I, it's hard. I mean, look, I'm a New York rugby club guy, so old blue Nyack, you know, overrated. Uh, no, they're great, but um, it, you know, it's hard to compare the scrum of a MLR team to the scrum of a you know, club team. I'm not sure that Nyack old blue would have the same advantage that a Rooney does in the scrum, and so I think that that makes it a lot more difficult. And I think Dallas, I really do still think Dallas is a very dynamic attack. I mean, they have an English, you know, professional player in the back line in Trinder uh, who really uses his boot well. I think, like I said last week, Carelsa is really talented 10. I, so I think they got some, some pretty good weapons. Um, it's just, you know, what, how do you ever employ those weapons if you can't use the set piece as a platform to start anything, you know, set piece as a platform to turn the ball over. Uh, you know, it just, it makes it difficult. So I, I think, if they were to go play Nyack and Old Blue and those teams were able to dominate the scrum in the same way, then I think that they'd you know, have, be able to, to maybe beat Dallas. But I'm guessing that that would not be the case, transitioning from MLR down to you know even D1 or whatever you want to call it, club level here. Um, still, uh, you know, Dallas is going to have to fix these problems. Right? I mean, you, every week now, what are they, 0-4 and 4? And, you know, at least three out of four. They, maybe they held up a little better in San Diego. But uh, three of those four matches, I mean, their scrum got walked all over. And I mean, like, completely walked all over. So just like with Old Glory, you know, they're not going to win if they can't make simple defensive plays and, like, stick, you know, stick tackles in the middle of the field when there's two, you know, when there's double hits coming in. I mean, it's going to be tough for Dallas to win if they can't even just lock their legs on a scrum and keep their own feed. Uh so, you know, until they can do that, it's going to be tough to pick them. But uh, if, if I don't even, I'm, at some point, they must play Old Glory this year. I, I'm Right now, if that was this week, I'm picking Dallas to win that one. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, I, I'm, I'm a little on the fence about that. I think Dallas is going to get their first win at like the end of the season when some playoff team is going to be resting a bunch of guys and sending up the academy kids, uh, you know, onto the field. Because, you know, I, I predicted before week one, I was like, Dallas is going to have at least one or two major upsets. And I think those major upsets might end up being their only wins of the season. Who knows? But so th- this week they face winless Nola Gold at home. In Dallas, that would still be an upset in my eyes, just be, just because Nola is like the more veteran team, has more veteran players. Um, they're just underperforming, I think, because of a lot of stuff that's going on off the field, um, you know, in general. But um, you know, I mean, like for, for me, Dallas's biggest issue was there was there's no other way to really put it for me. They just seemed out of sorts. They felt they looked confused. They they didn't look orderly um like you know like on transitions or like you know like or even you know setting up for phase play um i felt like new york was able to pull off some really really pretty passing phases like you know like the kind of pretty passing phases that you don't see too often in major league rugby um you know especially not anywhere in america at least um but i think that was just kind of a result of dallas's god-awful defense allowing them so much space and not really you know you know like not even contesting at the breakdown poorly, but just trying to tackle really poorly. Like there was some, uh, like there was a few runs by New York, um, especially by, uh, who, who's your inside center there, Craig, number 11? Um, uh, the inside I, center this particular week? Uh, yeah. Well, God. Uh, 12 was Jason Emery and 13 was Quinn Naguati. Naguati. All right. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. But, but, but no, but, 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 uh, but basically, <laughs> Basically, there were there was a lot of runs by New York by New York guys who that should have only gone for like one or two meters ended up going for nine or ten, and I think Dallas just gave up a whole lot of ground really really easily, and so I think that's uh, you know a lot of the reason why New York made so few tackles is because their offense really wasn't uh, you know really wasn't challenged all that much. Uh, like you said, Craig, terrible scrumming for Dallas. I thought Pago Haini got. You know, basically handed an easy try for New York, uh, you know, out of the pack, um, grabbing it there at that eight position. Seven freaking tries for New York um, in, in this one. I don't know what the what the record in MLR is, but I feel like that's got to be pretty close to it. Uh, Dallas actually had a pretty decent 59% territory rate, but their 36% possession rate made that worth, you know, F all, um, you know, in, in the long run. So... Yeah, uh, not enough on offense for Dallas, absolutely nothing on defense. So I think the defensive side is where they need to start fixing things uh, immediately. Yeah, I, I definitely think that. Uh, one, one thing I do find odd, um, uh, Chris Pinnell um, was one of their big signings for the year for Dallas. Got hurt week, he, week one, right? Got hurt week one, came back in this game, Kind of odd that the game season they sucked offensively, um, so that maybe it may it just be coincidence versus you know actual causation, but that was that was definitely something to notice on my end. And then um, Dallas is playing at Old Glory on April twenty third. All right, week after right, my birthday. Put me, put me in for Jackals. Uh, it's a birthday win for Liam. I, I, mean, I also your your question about who is playing center raise another complaint of mine that I always think, but I've not yet voiced. So maybe you guys agree with me or maybe I'm, maybe I'm the asshole here. Excuse my language, but uh, 
is it just me or is it the most annoying thing that New York does not put out a lineup? Like with one picture, you can see the whole lineup. It's always that video where they show three people at a time. And if you want to see who's playing a position that's not the first three people, you have to sit there and watch this video play on your phone or whatever. God, yeah. it's so annoying. Put out a lineup like everybody else. Yeah, New England's been doing the same, doing been doing something similar. So the week before this week, they put out like a weird, like it was like a six second video, but like you you had to like pause it in order to like read it. And then the font was wicked small. Then this week, it was like the same font, like same really, really small font, but it wasn't a video this time. And when you like zoomed in on the picture on your smartphone, it was wicked blurry. Um yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Stop being creative. I feel like rugby lineups have been fine since the freaking 90s, That the way they've been formatted on on, yeah. on on GIFs or whatever the hell. I mean, you want to have a cool video to announce the selections, whatever. I mean, yeah, you do you, marketing team. But after that, can you just post a, cur- a courtesy lineup in a normal format that I can go reference after the fact? Because uh, it's not like New York puts the same people out every week. They've had different backlines every week. So, uh, anyway. Hope, hope you're listening to this Rini marketing department. <laughs> Rini. Well, hey, no, no. The thing that also didn't help was they had guys get injured and they knew this like 10 hours beforehand and then declined to inform anyone but production. Yeah. So that was, that was fun. Also, so. Sam Windsor. I mean, he's, he's, I think he got MLR fly half of the week in the first 15, which I, I don't know, surprised me. I mean, yeah, he scored a try because he got fed a ball from Andy Ellis and ran it into the end goal with no defender. I mean, great, uh, fun, a good support line, but uh, really feel like New York is undefeated and they've had little contribution from Sam Windsor in that effort so far. Uh, so if he, you know, if he starts clicking over there, New York might be, uh, you know, might be a, a potent uh, rival to you know whoever ends up at the top of the league here at the end of the year. Okay, so I did. It is confirmed that Sam Windsor is fly half of the week. Um, the stats listed are one seven point try scored, eight ball carries made, and 71 meters run. Take from that what you will. Yeah, I mean, he's for a try, it was fine, but he didn't, he didn't do anything except run a support line next to the guy who, you know, Andy Ellis broke the line with a dummy off the rock and then threw the defender and just, you know hopped it into Windsor's hands or slid into the end goal. I don't know. I, I mean, like, the, the lack of points might have counted against him, but I thought Sam Malcolm did great this week just as a distributor. Um, you know, so it was a little... Yeah. I, 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 think, I think Sam Malcolm is one of the most unheralded players in MLR, to be honest. I, I will agree with you there. I think that is one, one of his better strengths is ball distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, you could... I say that, and then people will be like, well, what about his time in Houston? He no friends, but he has a better supporting cast now than he ever did in Houston, ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. and so we we can ar- we could argue this day and night forever, probably. But let's move on because we need to because we don't want to make this run forever. Mm-hmm. Um, next game up, arguably one of if not the game of the week for um, a lot of people. Um, the score line was probably a little bit of a misnomer if you didn't watch the game. Um, Austin beat Seattle 25 to 18 in Seattle in um, one in of the their rain. poor in the rain and one of their poor performances offensively. Um, you uh, again, probably due to the rain, they are a fast team that likes to play with pace, likes to get that ball wide, but so is Seattle 
and I think you know it was two two styles meshing that, but Austin came out on top. Um, Seattle did get a last second try to get that bonus point, so you know it, it did make things a lot a lot closer than it probably should have been. Um, but going into half, um, Seattle did have the lead. I think I believe it was eight to three was the halftime lead, you know, and then. Then luck turned Austin in the second half. You know, again, they got tries from Julian Dominguez, Lockie McCaffrey, and Jake Turnbull. Um, and then obviously Seattle's last try was from Ronald Herbst in the 80th minute to secure that bonus point win. I did, I was trying to watch like three games at once, unfortunately. So I, did, I missed a lot of this game. But, you know, it, it did seem like whenever I was able to take a peek, it seemed like Austin was on the front foot most of the time. They just couldn't finish in the first half. And then finally broke through in the second half. Liam, what is? Would you agree with that, or did you did you see something else? Um, well, I mean, I did that. I would definitely agree that the second half was, um, in general, just better rugby on both sides. The game because the game started off slow there, but there was a degree of intensity to the way that both sides were kind of battling out. Um, they made you know uh, their scrums were forced to kind of go head to head on a number of occasions. Um, and I thought it was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I, I thought it was smart for at least for each team to kind of break that scoreless stalemate by going for the post because, um, you know, like when we talk about San Diego, you know, you'll see how much, you know, going, going for the post early in the game can actually help you win. Um, but obviously I think defenses and, uh, for, for both sides made life hell for one another. Um, uh, you know, but, uh, I thought the Seawolves, um, in general, not again, like you said, Josh. Not one of their better offensive performances, but I thought there was a lot of hard-fought faces for them inside of the red uh, inside of the red zone. Um, I thought you know some of their tight window passing to the outside uh, w- was one of those aspects to the game that put some pressure on the AGs. Um, the, but however, the AGs did a, I think a lot better when it came to uh, pace, when it came to tempo, and I thought they were able to use that pace and tempo to expose um, just some of the sloppiness, sluggishness that, that Seattle seemed to have, seemed to bring with them into that rainy game. Uh, the, the Dominguez try in the second half was a perfect example of that. Um, they were able to catch Seattle out of positioning while moving it to the out, uh, at, while moving it to the outside. Um, really, really good try right there into the end goal, right on the edge of the uh, uh, of the touchline. Um, so it's you know hand, like handling speed like that that was able to um, you know kind of be the uh, you know be, be the point break there for for Austin. Seattle, meanwhile, twelve handling errors um, throughout the whole game. They need to cut that. They, need to, they really need to cut down on that because I thought that's one of the things that made their attack really inconsistent, um, and that's what kind of uh, forced them to lack. Um, a certain degree of pressure um, that they were able to put on Austin. Um, so Austin was just kind of able to keep control of the game from there. So um, Seattle, they, they're they one of the teams that I like this season, just because I, like after the last two seasons have gone pretty bad, I think they're getting back to a very solid base. Um, might not be wildly consistent, but it's a base nonetheless on which to build off of. And I think they're, I think they're in that mid-tier. Again, we'll talk about tiers like like later on the show, but I think they're sort of in that mid-tier of MLR teams where they're a playoff contender, but not necessarily a shield contender. Craig, what'd you what'd you say in this one? Uh yeah, I, I agree with your original assessment. I, I think Austin first of all, I think this was definitely the best game of the week. I, I think both these teams actually played really well considering the rain and, and how good the other side was. I mean, they, they had stiff defensive pressure, you know, 
and bad weather at the same time. So hard to mount good attacks in those conditions. Austin on the road did this in Starfire, you know, notoriously difficult place for teams to play. Um, it, it did seem like Austin was especially struggling with the weather in the first half. Again, I see the, uh, the official stats. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe those are right. It sort of didn't feel like it was 12 to 6 where uh, where was, Seattle had the 12 errors and Austin had the 6. Maybe that's what it was. But it felt more of the, the flip of that. Uh, but I, if it was that, certainly the Austins were clustered there in the first half because you know, every time they got some momentum in the first half, I felt like they knocked it on and then the ball was turned over. Second half, for whatever reason, it was still raining, but they, I don't know what they said at halftime. They came out and they were able to hold on to the ball more, and I think that was the difference in the game. Um, you know, without those errors, they, they kept it out of Seattle's hands a little bit better. Seattle, I, I think, has such a dynamic attack. You know, they have so many players that can carry the ball right now. Uh, they look good, um, but I think Austin – was able to reduce the errors in the second half. They had a little more tactical patience in the second half. Um, and so, you know, they, they showed that they're the class of the league right now with the win. Huh. You know, it's definitely one of, one of the games of the week. Moving on to the next game of the week. Um, arguably, you could call the other three games of the week game of the week contenders, but this one probably is, you know, right up there, prob- arguably the more likely of the three. Um, San Diego beat Houston in a windy Houston 31 to 20. Um, you know, Houston took a 28 to 18 lead in the half. First, they didn't score in the second half. It was all San Diego in the second half. Um, but you know, I, I, it was a very competitive game in my eyes. Um, San Diego scored right off the bat, um, for big, big Ben Grant, the six foot nine Australian giant got, got down there right, basically right from the kickoff to score for San Diego. And then it was, pretty much all Houston um, for the next 20 or so minutes. And then Thomas Morani had a 60 meter breakaway try to, to pull away. And then, you know, Joe Peterson, you know, was his normal, normal, just takeover self with, mm-hmm. and then we we don't forget about his rhino poaching um, prevention. Um, I forget the word. I apologize. Dude, it's he, crazy how you can't remember words as soon as this camera goes live. <laughs> you start no, but, stuttering and you just like you start repeating sentences that you already said. Believe me, man, I freaking know it. <laughs> no, I no, I know. I, I definitely struggle. I probably need to write more of this stuff out, but I kind of just like going off. Like I have the general outline, but I do kind of just like going off script stuff like this. Yeah, but so. Kind of I mean, like this game. It, it felt like it went off script at times. <laughs> I mean, like in, in the first like one or two seasons that we started doing this show, I would write out like whole scripts of what I was going to say because we would just like do like because it was this was back when there was only six teams in the freaking league, so everybody could talk for three or four minutes about every single game. Now it's just like, come on, man, chop, 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 chop. <laughs> yeah. Right. So look, I, I, I have some thoughts about Houston here. Uh, first, I think. Uh, you know, after the first Houston won their season over against LA, impressive win, very methodical. We talked about it a lot at week one. They they didn't do anything crazy. They just held the ball. Yeah, they're physical. They just slowly, methodically moved it forward, and they and and they got a lot of yellow cards to help them that that in that particular game, and they did just enough to win. And I said I don't think that that's going to be enough though uh, throughout the season to win. They, they need a little more ambition and attack. 
since then they've had their seven stars. Uh, not since then. I think the last two weeks they've had their seven stars infused this lineup with Danny Barrett and uh, Lauta, and uh, yeah. So there's there's been this infusion of sevens energy, and I think they're now doing much more ambitious attacking. I mean, it, and even not those other, not just those players. Like the whole team is is doing what I was calling for, which is like a more daring attacks, showing more different looks to defenses. I think it's great. I, I think they look good. Uh, there to me now there's kind of just one problem where I, I feel like there's something out of sync with the scrum half, who I guess his name is pronounced Schmidt and it's you know, spelled S M I T, but uh, they they're calling him Schmidt. They call him Schmidt on the TV anyway. Um, I, I feel like he is he's going with really flat passes to ball carriers just as they're hitting the line, you know, the line of game where the, the defense is waiting, which, of course, is, like, an aggressive thing to do and can be good. But, I mean, it, it's doing it, at, like, seems like every phase or every other phase, and, and Houston is eventually knocking those on and not able to handle those passes cleanly, and it's kind of sidetracking the attack. So I think I, I like the, the different looks. I like what they're doing now um, in terms of, a little more uh, ambition in, in the attack, but I think they've, they haven't fully worked it through the team yet. Cause it doesn't seem like it's in sync with what the scrum half wants to do. Uh, so I think, I feel like they're really close to sorting that out. And then they're going to be a really dangerous team the rest of the year. San yeah. Diego looks yeah. good. They have a lot of individual talent. Uh, you know, Joe Peterson is uh, fantastic. He doesn't seem to age at all. And he protects the rhinos from poaching. Uh, in Africa, his home, his South African home. Yeah. Um, quick, are you guys able to hear me right now? Yeah. yeah. All right. We're sorry because I'm um, sorry, Craig. You were you were going in and out for me, uh, at least right there for a second. So hmm. my bad. But anyway, so I thought this was a great game overall. Um, you know, look, I, I think it's it's really good for me to see a Houston team like this. Um, you know, after. Uh, you know, rooting for them for the first couple of years, working for them for one year where everything didn't really work out. Uh, but now I think uh, the Sabercats, they really have some guys who can make issues in the midfield. I think guys like uh, uh, Hidalgo, um, Hilado, fucking sorry, whatever. Uh, they're, they're getting more involved in the midfield game. Um, Dean Muir uh, continues to show out. So this Houston team just seems to be faster in general in, in years in years past, but that speed isn't coming with an increased rate of sloppiness. Uh, which, again, I think was one of the, their big detractors. Um, I said this earlier. I think San Diego taking the points when they were there really helped them um, you know, o- over the hump because I don't think this was that great of a game, to be honest, uh, for, for San Diego. I thought there was there was a lot of start-stop for them, um, which, and honestly, in MLR is a pretty consistent issue. However, they got 15 total points off the tee, so, um, and, I mean, so, like, so that coupled with a few champagne moments, um, you know, was able to was was enough to avoid the upset against against a team like Houston because right now Houston, I don't think anybody quite has a beat on them. Like, are they one of the good teams this year, or did they just you know have a successful first couple of weeks like they do every single year? Um, in terms of guys out there that that I've been looking at, Ben Mitchell is one of my favorite players like in the league right now. Uh, they they call him Big Ben for a reason. He stands out. He lays huge hitch, but he's a big giant man who can turn on the gas and actually, you know, run the length of the field. Um, if you, um, if, if, you know, if, 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 if you need that, I also think Frere, Fryer, um, you know, again, 
no, nobody pronounced his names in rugby correct. I think he's I think he's a total force on the outside. I think him and him uh, paired with Will Hooley, uh, they create a lot of opportunities. So I think um, once San Diego gets a little bit more in sync for this season, they're definitely going to be uh, what's making this team a contender in terms of just being able to score points consistently on the outside. Um, funny enough, Houston controlled possession and territory rate by like a good 10% in each respect. Um, but again, that's why San Diego taking the points from the T early on in the first half sort of saved them uh, in this game because uh, overall, I think Houston just had a better, had a more consistent and fruitful attack um, in terms of the passing game. I think again, tw- uh, 15 points off the T for San Diego. That's the only reason you won. Yeah. I, and then I, I've brought this up before with Houston. I think, and then maybe it's just me going crazy because, you know, San Diego only brought one player on at halftime and the rest later on. But I think one of Houston's things is they're getting gassed and they're not bringing on the players soon enough because, you know, look, they did bring on all of their subs, but the first one wasn't brought on until the 60th minute. So I, I, I definitely think that maybe playing, you know, a big part where, hey, these guys, maybe they're getting gassed and you're just not seeing it. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on, at least at least from my eyes. I mean, were, were, were the forwards at least given any fried chicken or burgers, uh, you know, like at halftime, just to sort of I don't know, keep, keep their spirits up? I know I know, gluttony is sort of a, uh, a necessity in that forward pack. <laughs> they're, they're lucky. Just yeah. strap the chicken right to your arm. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you reset, the hooker, the hooker puts his arms over the props. Yeah, <laughs> two steaks on his chest, and he gets in there. Hey, yep. hey, you're not the only one who who agrees with that statement, there. Lee. <laughs> yeah, me too, bro. Me too. <laughs> All right, last game of the week. One, obviously, one of the games of the week. I, I'd, I'd probably put this at the, at the bottom. Like, if you made me rank them, I'd probably put San Diego, Houston one, Austin, Seattle two, and then L.A., New England three. Um, 19 to 5, LA managed to pull it out in the end. Um, definitely a lot lower scoring than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, you got two the two first half tries from LA and Hako and Ben Lesage, um, one second half from Nathan Dunholt, and then the two tries from New England from Paula Bellicana and Peter Janssen. So it was, it was definitely, you know, it was definitely a good match. Leon, you were there. What would you see in person? What did I see in person? Um, I saw a lot of $14 uh, cups of beer. I saw a $16 guillotini. Um, I was called some pretty awful things by a lot of 10 and 11 year olds. But so that's, that's what I saw in the stands. That's what I saw. (laughs) What I saw on the field uh, should have been a game belonging to the free Jacks. So I don't have the official numbers in front of me, but I would totally be willing to bet that the, their average meters gained per pass for the Free Jacks was well below uh, league average because they controlled over 55% of the total possession throughout the game, beat the um, they, they beat the Giltinis in total territory, but they, they or no, sorry, they lost the, uh, to the Teenies in, in total territory battle because, as usual, their defense, while it was stifling, their attack got stifled, especially in the mid, midfield. Only uh, they, had, they had passes that you expected to go for, you know, like eight, nine meters. Instead, they got brought down to two or three because guys were hesitant in hitting the gaps or else uh, they, they come or, or else uh, the distribution. I, I love Holden Younger. 
love Holden Younger, but I, I think there was times where his distribution might have been a little bit slow, especially towards the end of the first half. He wasn't hitting guys when they had those channels open, and I think LA's defensive shift not the not exactly the best in the league, but uh, at the same time they were fast. And uh, the Free Jacks attack is kind of notoriously not slow, but more methodical. And I think they were able to uh, keep up with it and sort of stifle it. Um, and then, meanwhile, on for the for on the attack for LA, uh, guys like Billy Meeks and Johnny Ryberg feasted on a t- very tired um, set of outside defenders. Um, yeah, I it it was one of those games where the the Free Jacks appeared to be doing well. They appeared to be doing well fundamentally, especially on defense. They frustrated LA a lot, especially within the red zone. Um, they and they were able to force a number of turnovers. But it's just finishing and coming away with points that they just that there just seems to be some sort of of disconnect there of finishing when it, when it comes to territory, instead they go through these phases where they, you know, they'll pass the ball six, seven times, only gain a total of about 10 meters out of it. Um, then, you know, rely on Bodine to kick for post Bodine Waka, um, you know, one of the MVPs, one of the MVP MVPs of that team. And now that uh, Paula Bellicana is sort of starting to come into his own Dougie Fife only has one more week of suspension. I think this back line can start to make a real leap. Uh, but until then, there needs to be a little bit more pop, a little bit more consistency in gaining territory and not just ball control. Because the ball control is great, but that is was, was what eventually is going to get you tired and make you not be able to finish these tackles like we saw the Free Jacks not be able to do in the second half, allowing guys like Ryberg and Billy Meeks to just, you know, do what they do. So... Great game. I thought there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of really good midfield play, a lot of good, really good midfield phase play, which is what I like to see from rugby. Um, just need to see more finishing consistency from the Free Jacks. Good, good job to the Teenies. Good job to the Teenies. It was a really, it was a good uh, game day experience. Lower the prices of your concessions a little bit. I'm, <laughs> I'm begging you. Um, yeah, but yeah, big ups, big ups. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought uh, I. It's funny you said, Josh. This is your least favorite of the competitive matches. I actually would have said this was my favorite uh, of the competitive matches. I think uh, to me, LA and New England are such an interesting matchup of styles and abilities. It's like a, a heavyweight boxing match where you have you know the the, the speed guy versus the power guy. I, I feel like LA is the speed guy in this context, and New England's the power guy, and I think. I think we've seen uh, – hi, hi, Scott. Yes, I miss you as well. Home over this week. I won't, I won't be intending, but uh, I look forward to seeing you on TV. Uh, the, uh, I feel like L.A. I, – I feel like we've seen L.A. lose before, and it's always been the same sort of recipe. It's a real physical team that messes with them at the breakdown. They can't get quick ball. You know, roughs them up a little bit physically – and keeps the ball out of their hands. And that, I think, for example, Houston beat L.A. week one. That was exactly what they did. I mean, L.A. barely had the ball. I think they had something like 32% possession in that first week. New England can do all that because they're they're a, a staunch defense. They're very physical. And I think they even have the added benefit of they're so um, sharp in transition and, and causing errors and then leveraging those into, into attacking opportunities. And LA is a kind of a high risk team. They have a lot of like no love passes and bat, you know, behind the 
direction of play. They do a lot of sort of uh, stunts. You can call it, this is a football, yeah, American football. You have a lot of stunts back there. Um, so I thought Newland could do something with that. And I thought they almost did. I, to me, the problem was they just, they let LA attack too much. They, it kind of went, it similarly went in phases where at the beginning of the game, LA had the ball and they were just relentlessly attacking, relentlessly attacking. And Newland couldn't get it from them. And eventually LA would burst through and score. Um, and then for like the middle chunk of the game, New England held on to the ball and they eventually came back to the lead because they, without LA being able to attack, uh, New England was able to do what they had to do. And then the last chunk of the game, again, it was LA dominating possession and they just kept running different lines and different attacks. And eventually they, they poked through. So I think New England was really close to being able to win this one. They just had to keep that ball out of LA's hands a little bit longer because, uh, I mean, it's it's hard for any defense to take the type of looks that L.A. puts out, you know, that they put out there. And uh, like Liam said, I mean, you know, they, they, these guys eventually were feasting, but I, I think New England was gassed because they, again, I do we trust these stats to be accurate? I'm skeptical, but the MLR app says New England made 274 tackles. Uh, I think that might I, be a rule. I, I, I believe it just because, like I said, like their their defense is very stifling. So there was a lot of tackles at the gain line. There was a lot of like, you know, like one, it, it, like, so I mean, you're a forward. So you know all about gaining one or two meters every time you uh, you catch a pass, but no more than that, right? <laughs> That's it, my specialty. Yeah, it, exactly. So um, there, there was a lot of that in this game. It's a lot of midfield World War One trench warfare. Um, you know, without the mustard gas. Still, I think I, I tried to Google this, and it's not exactly apparent, but I think the most tackles ever in a Six Nation match in history was like 250. So this would be, we're, we'd be talking world record number of tackles territory here. Uh, <laughs> but maybe, again, either way, LA was just had too many chances with the ball in hand uh, for any defense to, to shut them down. So I, I think New England is really close to be able to win this one. And uh, I mean, they had the chance. Like, so like with the, with the game, like ending new England had possession in LA territory and then some BS penalty. I don't say BS penalty as in, it shouldn't have been a pet penalty, but just very ill-timed penalty on new England's behalf. Um, kind of shut it down. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I was I was ready for the comeback. It didn't happen. I had to walk out. I had to do the walk of shame past all the ten years olds uh, in the stands. <laughs> so did you did you get worse treatment before or after you did the walk of shame? <laughs> I mean, uh, people were pretty good sports during the like during the game and stuff like that. We were going back and forth with cheers. I was sitting with uh, with Holden Youngert's family. So they were, you know, going crazy for him. Like, like, like at, at every point they were chanting his name and stuff like that. But every time we would start to chant, the little kids would start it up. And then, of course, as like as like our whole group was leaving, like they're all just like, ha ha. Like, you know, so there was a little more mean spirited taunting during the walk of shame. But uh, I'm, I'm just glad to see the youth having fun at a rugby game. So it was all good with me. It sounds like it almost sounds like we need, you know, Snoop Dogg did his his youth rugby league. Excuse me, his youth football league. We need Snoop Dogg to do a youth rugby league in the LA area. Is what we need to do. <laughs> yep, dude, fucking Snoop Doggy Dog from Long Beach. All right, let's move into the discussion topic of the week. Um, we'll, we'll, we were going to add a little bit more, but we'll, we'll put it on the end if, if we don't want to cut it short. But main topic of the week, you know, level of competition, of the league, and you know, tier list of the teams as you have it now. 
Um, you know, I feel the, the level of competition's, you know, is pretty good, especially compared to previous years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's steadily risen in my eyes, especially as, you know, guys are getting more and more involved in a full-time daily training environment, even if some of them are part-time. If rare, I don't know, because I know the league used to be more part-time than full-time, but it may be more leaning towards the full-time than part-time now. But it, it's still nice to see that level of competition rise. Mm-hmm. So... I, I kind of like you, Josh. I'm very glad to see that the average level of competition has uh, has risen. Um, and, and and you're right. I think that, that that has a lot more to do with the fact that teams have more. Um, I don't want to say permanent facilities, but they're a little bit more. Uh, they have more consistent facilities. They have more consistent venues uh, in which to play. They, um, you know, there was there was a lot of turnover with uh, with coaching staff this past year. But this, I think, this was like the biggest. Uh, turnover year in terms of coaching staffs. I think there we had a like a two year period where everything was sort of calm on that front. So I think um, that I think I think that did some benefits. Uh, where I'm seeing the most uh, where I'm seeing the most improvement is just in midfield phase play, um, just in terms of like you know o- open field passing. Where I feel like I'm not seeing a ton of improvement is uh, is in the set piece in lineouts in particular. I feel like there's still a lot of sloppiness. I think there's there's way too many turnovers, way too many, you know, other teams getting not their throw-ins, um, you know, and poaching those, which, you know, almost which sounds exciting from a fandom standpoint, but when it comes to traditional rugby execution, you shouldn't be, we, we shouldn't see teams losing as many of their own lineouts as of their own throw-ins um, as, as we're seeing. Um, uh, what, what about you, Craig? What do you think about the overall quality of play? <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, I think we, you would expect and hope that it would get better incrementally at least every year, you know, for all the reasons you just said and, and just, you know, the institutional knowledge these guys are learning and they're remembering those lessons the next year and then they're learning new lessons, you know, and they're imparting those lessons to their teammates and, and so on. So hopefully just the reps of professional rugby will continue to uh, bear fruit in, in terms of overall play quality. I think I, – I, I, I agree. I mean, I think the lineouts are a shambles, though I would say – actually, I, I think they were more of a shambles last year. They're not good. Uh, that, that's clear. Uh, I think they're – I actually think they're better, though. I, I think where – I think where I, I would like to see kind of the next big jump go uh, is the ability to orchestrate an attack through the halfbacks – that builds from one phase to the next. You know, I feel like a lot of the teams right now are relying on individual playmakers or capitalizing on mistakes or, uh, you know, maybe they have one trick play or like one, you know, one rehearsed play they'll run and then they just kind of improvise. And that stuff's good, but I'd love to see people st- uh, you know, get to the point. And I think LA last year was really the only team that did this. And uh, Austin, maybe this year's doing a little bit, but I'd like to see more of a, we run a play on attack, knowing what the next play is going to be and the next player for that's going to be, and we're setting that up, right? I, I'm I'm purposely drawing defenders this way or whatever, causing them to rotate. Where I'm kicking here because I know my kick chase is going to pressure them. They're going to have to kick back, and now I'm going to have a counterattack over here. Like what? More of a chess match uh, approach. I don't think we really see that the way you do in, in of course, like a Six Nations or a Premiership or a. Uh, you know, another, uh, you know, 
tier one country sort of professional league. So I think that's to me the big, the next big transition. And I think, I mean, Seppi's is certainly inconsistent and, and there seems to be big gaps between individual teams and individual players. Uh, hopefully that will even out over time just because it doesn't, you know, it looks a little embarrassing when you're, you know, twice a game you throw a ball and don't even jumps just goes out into the distance. Uh, or even this, like I think De- yeah, Dallas, for example, we talked about in the scrum. I mean, it's, it's pretty unusual to see a team just get walked back in the scrum every single time. Uh, so, you know, hopefully those things will, will even out a bit. Uh, and I think they will. I, I think that just comes you know, with, with a little more time. Uh, but I think, I think as a overall quality level, the next thing we need is more, long-term uh, attacking shape and strategy. And and I, I think a big key to that, you know, as Scott says here, you know, there is that gap between individual locks on each team. You know, you have teams that have those good locks. You're talking about Dallas locks in the scrum. There's a big gap between them. So everybody just <laughs> or, or, yeah, here, Mike Lash is still warning the Dallas scrum. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you know that that is definitely a good point. You know, you you see that that set piece being the key. You know, I noticed a couple teams this weekend went with the short lineout throw, but had like the the pod to the left of it. So they they threw it short, but then tossed it to the guy standing there. I, I don't know, like maybe that was just something new that they saw and wanted to try out. It it worked okay but then there was times where especially in the san diego houston game where i noticed it that it, it just didn't work at all yeah so it, i mean like, like like a big part of like you know a, a big goal um like you know of that is to open up is is to create space to the outside because you're getting as close to the touchline as possible i mean obviously you want to gain some meters by catching the other pod um you know by a surprise but essentially like when you're doing that you want to have some sort of um, some sort of play, some sort of plan uh, with your backs, you know, that, that, that they can run. Having been granted a little bit extra space there on the outside. Uh, but if, again, like kind of like you said, Josh, if it doesn't execute, if it all goes to hell, then you're just going to end up battling the other team at the breakdown just to, you know, try to get uh, possession in the first place. And it's all, all going to fucking shit. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder why they're, they're still so, in my view, so frequently are they not are teams not contesting the line out like they're just getting ready for a mall defense and they don't even put up a jumper when teams you know even with no jumper are completing 70% maybe let's say of their lineouts i mean it seems like if you put a defensive person up there you could steal or disrupt every single lineout uh, so it's, it's still odds me that they'd rather just challenge at the mall where it's much harder i think to successfully contain them all uh, in most cases. So, you know, it seems, I mean, there must be something they know I don't. Obviously, every team is doing it. It's been like that pretty much every year the MLR has existed. Uh, but I, I remain a little mystified at the lack of defensive lineout lifts. Uh, let's quickly, tier list, I, like, I'll put what I have, and then you, we can discuss there. We can move teams. So at the moment, S tier, Austin, only team that in that tier. S tier, what does that mean? Shield, shield tier, shield tier. <laughs> okay, the, but we could probably move Super New York up. Tier, <laughs> um, A tier, just because I have I have seen flaws in these teams. Um, Seattle, 
New York, LA, New England. B tier, Atlanta, Houston, San Diego. C tier, Toronto, NOLA, and Utah. And then D tier, DC, and Dallas. And that is just a coincidence. I, the only disagreement I would have is I would maybe move ATL up up to the A tier. Okay. I think ATL is a legitimate contender to ret- return to the playoffs, possibly even get, like, get a second crack at the shield. Um, I mean, obviously, kind of like, like, like you said, that they, they have their own flaws. Um, personally, for me, my, my top five, if I had to create one, um, you know, that's just kind of how I did the, I did the tiers. Uh, Austin, New York, ATL, New England. Um, and I'm just not sure if I want to, if I want to put Seattle or San Diego in that fifth spot. Um, I'm, I might have to do what you did. I might have to have like, like, like a, like a, like a B1 sort of tier that's headlined by Seattle and San Diego. And then everybody else is just sort of, um, like, you know, like I wouldn't put NOLA in the D tier, um, like, you know, like with, with OGDC or with Dallas. Cause I just feel like NOLA has, has had some shit luck. I feel like they're right there you know, to return to their proper place of being an eight and eight team, you know? <laughs> no, I, I do agree with that. You know, they did, they did have some, some terrible luck other way. I, that's why I had them in the C tier. Cause I feel like they're one of those teams that just need something to go their way. And they will be one of the, they'll be up there with one of the top teams in the league. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, I'm going to, I'll, I'll have a slightly different approach to tiering. I'm going to have my, Top tier, bottom tier, and then I'm not even going to mention everyone else. I don't tell what's going to be in the middle there in a, in a <laughs> cloud, a cloud of teams. <laughs> to me, top tier right now is Austin, New York, and Seattle. Uh, so, yeah, Josh, or Liam, obviously, is more skeptical on Seattle. I mean, again, I, I sort of mentioned this before, but New York has three road wins against, I mean, it, you know, against Atlanta, one of the teams that you guys are putting in the top tier here is one of them. Uh, and they have had, I think, very little play, you know, quality play from their fly half in that period, uh, the start of the league. So I, I think that they, you know, if Sam Windsor starts making some kicks. I think they're going to be, you know, very dangerous. Uh, and again, they haven't even played at home yet. So I, I think they've they've earned that, that true to me. I think Seattle is maybe, you know, the second best all around team, like well-rounded team beyond and Austin. Um, I just think that they, they like, even like someone like Lopetti, uh, who I think is a great attacker for Seattle. I mean, he is a monster in defense in, in the midfield. And I just, I think they have so, so many angles of the game that they're strong at, and they have a great home stadium that I think they're, you know, other than obviously they just lost to Austin, uh, who are all agreeing is probably on top of the pyramid right now. I, I don't really see anyone else beating them right now in Seattle. I, I really don't. Um, so that's my top tier. My bottom tier is, uh, I think I in agreement with both you guys, Dallas and uh, Old Glory, uh, though I, I'm ready to promote Dallas as soon as they uh, they show me a little bit more. Yep. I, I want Dallas to have – even a Detroit Lions season, you know, like, like, you know how how Detroit was like, they were, they were winless. Then Jared Goff rips off two or three wins. I, I'd be happy if they just had some, some feel good um, victories this season. I'm, I'm, I don't even know who I'm going to pick yet, but as we get to these picks here in a minute and it's Dallas, Nola in Dallas, uh, I I'm undecided. I'm going to decide on the fly. I might pick them as, as a, their first win this year. 
Craig, you might be looking at the wrong week there. Oh, is it not next week? Um, oh, next week, yes. Not this week. That's my tears anyway. Let's let's quickly move on to picks. We're we're all we're literally about an hour, so let's let's see if we can get through this relatively quick. I say that we'll probably go another half an hour, but we'll try not to because uh, I know Craig needs to go to sleep. Um, I have a bottle of wine that's like sitting next to my computer right now, homie. <laughs> go to sleep. Uh, first game of the week up in Seattle at Starfire. You have Nola at Seattle. This Friday at 10.30 Eastern is the National Game of the Week on Fox Sports 2. Liam, who do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Seattle minus 10 on this one. Um, you know, I, I know we keep on saying Nola's going to Nola's going to do it. They're going to break through that through that wall. It's not going to be the seawall that they're breaking through, though, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't keep saying that about Nola. I don't know if they're breaking through any wall. Uh, definitely not the seawall. I'll say uh, Seattle by 12. Hey, Scott agrees with you there, Liam. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, I, I, I'm the person that likes to keep things even. So I, I think I've done this before. <laughs> I think one week we had 714 at 21. Um, <laughs> we have 10 and 12. I'm going to go Seattle by eight. I do think <laughs> Nola has, has started making that turn. Um, they, you know, they have shown stuff, but they, they definitely need to show more. But I, I do think Seattle still runs away with it. Um. Next up, we have Dallas at Utah. Dallas's first, or not first road game, but Utah's home opener of the season, Saturday, March 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network. Craig, who you got? One of these teams has to win, uh, so so there will be w- one fewer uh, winless team ever this week. Uh, I, I like Utah here uh, You know, at home. I still have a soft spot in my heart for Utah and my original pick for them as shield winner. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll cling to that for at least one more week, and I'll say uh, Utah by six. Uh, man, Josh, now you just got me all OCD about keeping things even. I'm going to go Utah minus nine. <laughs> Your move. Hey, uh, you said six, Craig? I'll, I'll go different, but still, but still even. I'm going Utah by 15. So, you know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, but so we saw what Utah did to Seattle in the scrum and with Dallas's struggles in the scrum, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. So it'd probably be more, but I'm going to go by 15. So next up we have Houston visiting Atlanta on March on Saturday at 3 PM Eastern on the rugby network. Uh, this, this one kind of troubles me a little bit just because, you know, we've seen Houston step up, um, and defensively they do, they try to have that quick attack on offense, whereas Atlanta, you know, they have that, try to have that widespread quick ball offense kind of struggle to contain on defense a little bit. Um, I'm still picking ATL, but I'm going to go ATL by three, Greg. Uh, so, you know, I think this would be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to this matchup. This is another one. I like the, the contrasting styles, but I think it, it depends on how Houston play this one. You know, if they're, if they're, which I like their aggressive play, but if they're back in that mode, they don't seem to have it figured out enough yet. And Atlanta's defense and rush defense is so aggressive. I think they're going to cause a lot of handling errors for Houston. Um, 
So I think, you know, that plus, uh, you know, the game being in Atlanta, uh, I'm going to say Atlanta by eight. Uh, there's just something in my tummy, something in my tummy telling me that this is going to be an upset. So I'm, I'm putting on the old bucket hat that still has sweat stains from when I was wearing it in Houston. Uh, I'm going to go Houston minus four on this one. Dean Scott, Muir, man of the match. Scott has Will Leonard being man of the match there. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Next up, more than likely game of the week, the Gilchrist Cup, Battle of the Gillies, as the Rugby Network likes to say. Los Angeles visiting Austin also on Saturday, this time at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network. Liam, who you got? The the Gil the Gilgash the Gilbash the I don't know I, I I think we were trying to think of names for this on a on a show a few weeks ago weren't we Gil Bowl the Gil yeah the the, the the cocktail cup I, I think was 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 one of the favorites um, I'm I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the Gil Gronies I think they have a little bit more of a mean streak uh, when it when it comes to their forwards I think their defense is going to be able to frustrate. Uh, LA and I think um, like Craig, Craig, you've mentioned this a few times. The way to beat LA is to piss them off there at the breakdown, uh, throw them off kilter, uh, get rid of that consistency in terms of their distribution. I think Austin is exactly the kind of team to do that. I think it's more likely to be a low-scoring game, but I think it's going to be one of those ones that Austin ends up winning by like by like you know by double digits. Like maybe I'm going to say like minus I'm going to say minus twelve on this one. Just because I think it's going to be like wicked close, I think it's going to be, you know, like uh, like I, I think Austin will be ahead by five up until the last minute when they'll score like you know a last minute try. So I don't think the double digit victory is going to tell the whole story, but I'm going to go Austin minus twelve on this one. What a specific prediction! I like yeah. it. Uh, I uh, I I'm also going to take Austin. Uh, I mean, right now they're playing the best, so and they're playing at home. It'd be tough to pick against them. Gultini is obviously defending champs, and I think they've played a little better each week. Uh, But I think think the roadmap to beating them is clear enough, and I think there's a lot of veteran presence now in Austin, and I I think they'll uh, they'll be able to keep it together. So I'll say Austin by six. Yeah, I agree with with both of you. Uh, You know, I think Austin's going to win. I think they've definitely shown they've taken their offense to the next level. And kept their defense at the same same pace because they uh they have one they have statistically they have the best defense in the league. You know New York while New York has conceded less points, um, Austin has played one more game. So well, Austin has only allowed forty seven points, and New York's on forty three. So you know it's an average of ten and a half points a game versus you know um, fourteen points a game. So that that difference to me is like in rugby, it's a little bit big, but not so big. Um, I'm going to take Austin by five. You know, I definitely think it'll be another close one, similar to Seattle. You know, LA. Especially, we'll see if they get Gitto back. Um, that may be a possibility. I don't, maybe not. So we'll see. But yeah, I'm taking Austin by five. All right. Next game of the weekend on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network. The home opener for Rugby New York in Hoboken at JFK Stadium. Craig, who you got? Clearly, New York, uh, should be an easy one. 
uh, barely a professional team coming down here from New England. Uh, no, I think, uh, I, again, I, I think this this also is an interesting matchup of styles because you, you guys pointed this out for New York. Uh, <laughs> you guys pointed this out for the New York uh, recap earlier. New York also, similar to L.A. in some ways, they try some riskier plays. You know, they, they do a lot of offloads. They, they do a good job keeping the ball alive, and that, that paid dividends against Atlanta, for example. But that also opens the door for some turnovers, mistakes, stuff that I think we could also really capitalize on. Um, but right now, I, I think I think we've seen New York have a really stingy defense here, you know, like you just said, Josh, you know, one, one of the best in the league, if not the best. And we haven't seen enough attacking prowess from New England, for my liking. And New York, for as risky as they've been, they they haven't yet had one of these games this year where they just botch everything and they give up like 50 points. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm going to hope that those days are behind them. And I'm going to say New York is going to win this one by four. Yeah. Okay. Uh, boo. Boo, Craig. All right. You, I got, you some, can't, I, you can't I got like some advice your favorite teams, Liam. Pick a team that you're supporting. <laughs> L.A., Houston, New England. I support every team that has ever paid, cut me a paycheck, okay? <laughs> and he could finally say that risk-free. Yeah, right? <laughs> All right. But, uh, so let me tell you – let me give you a little bit of advice, Craig. you got to get you, get you, get you, get your head in the game about this. <laughs> God. The- <laughs> the most stifling defense in Major League Rugby going up against one of – one of the best offenses in Major League Rugby, certainly the best scrum in Major League Rugby. It doesn't matter because you know why? Uh, yeah, hold on. This is, this is going to be round five, right? D- is Dougie Fife coming back this week? Let's see. We had, uh, hold, yeah. hold on. He played week one. We had a bye week two, three, four. Yeah, I don't, oh, shit, I don't he know where he got his suspension. Was it after week one or was it after week two? I think it was it was after week one because he the infraction was week one. It like like when it was it was the game against Nola. Infraction, infraction. Yeah. So now he's not back this week, things. They only played two since then, right? All right, Do, no, all right. Doesn't matter. You know why? Because we have guys like Bodine Waka, Paula Bellacana, Harry Barlow. They are, they are going to run all over you. I'm not using any logic. I'm not using any kind of schematic, you know, matchup things right now. I am just talking straight ish right now. Screw New York. All right, you know what? Here's the thing. You're not even rugby New York this week. You're rugby hobo. You're rugby Hoboken. <laughs> you are the rugby hobos. All right. Never mind the barbarians. All right. Y'all are just, y'all, like you, you. You guys want shaving chip? You guys want shaving tips from me? Y'all have beers or riding trains with little knapsacks on the stick over your back. You're rugby hobos, man. We are free jacks. We fight for America. <laughs> All right, so so if, have, if New yeah, York, uh, so, so again, I'm going to go New England minus three on this one. It's going to be a wicked close game. Eventually, I think our, our defense is going to be the deciding factor. Um, I think New York. Um, I think their start their, their starters are a lot um, a lot a lot more apt to carrying a game in the beginning as opposed to their bench finishing one out. Uh, and so I think that. Uh, I don't know. I, I I I think I think that it's going to be a very low scoring game up until about the 60th minute. Uh, when New England will eventually pull away, and it's going to be on the foot of Bodine Waka. I think this is going to come down to who takes as much uh, points as possible from the tee. Right. Josh, we need uh, we need a, a collateral here. So if if New York win, 
Liam has to do some sort of punishment, and if if New England win, I'll do it. You got well, to hold, hold on. Though. Wait, if New York wins, does Liam have to pay you back for that guillotine? <sighs> no, I don't want to make it monetary. Let's, let's do something more embarrassing. Like Liam's got to tweet, you know, something uh, in prey, you know, glorifying the superiority of New York over New England, or yeah, something to that effect. You can let's let's think about it. We can put how, it on how about this, here. Craig? I have never, ever in my life, and I can say this with a one million percent confidence, I have never, ever, ever worn a Yankees hat in my life. Ever has never touched my head. I'll post a selfie with a Yankees hat. So, so are we gonna we doing Yankees Boston here? Yeah, but yeah, I'm, but, I'm a Mets fan, but I'll take that just for the spirit of the New York Boston rivalry. Yeah, but the thing is, though, a Mets hat isn't going to like melt my soul because the Mets are just pathetic. Like, freaking Bobby Bonilla is going to be the highest-paid MLB player this year if the, if the lockout continues. So, yeah. I right. saw that. I saw that today. It's on. All right. Well, well, since Liam did did a sledge thread, Craig, you want to say anything back? Uh, no, I, I believe it or not, don't play for Rooney. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I think they're going to win this one. But if they lose, uh, you know, uh, I'll be upset as a Rudy fan, but uh, I just hope for a good game and and the health and success of all the players. That's mean, that's the courtesy mean, we have down here in New York for uh, visiting teams. You mean you're a Robo fan, Robo Rugby Hoboken, okay? <laughs> <laughs> or or yeah, say Bill Buckner. <laughs> um, just so I can settle the tie, the type I'd be the tiebreaker. Um, I'm going to take New York by eight. You know, I haven't I haven't not seen a lot out of New England. Sorry, Liam. Um, you know, they struggled against Nola a little bit, um, but so I just got to go uh, New York by eight. They've shown me more, especially if they can get Fidel on the wing, running running wild and free. All right, last game of the weekend, also on Sunday at seven p.m. Eastern. <laughs> we'll we'll see, Scott. We'll see. Um, Old Glory DC at San Diego on the sports deck. Um, is, do we really need to say anything about this game? I'm I'm just going to take San Diego by twenty. Legion by a legion. Drive Liam, you you're muted. Vote. For those listening to this at home, this is a plus podcasting. But Liam is on <laughs> mute, talking uh, blankly to the screen. <laughs> He lost his money. There, there we go. Am I good? There. Yeah, you're good back. Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, my pick is that Godzilla emerges from San Diego Harbor uh, and lays waste to the city. San Diego still wins by 11. All right. All right. Well, um, I think we went a little bit longer than we, we were expecting. We had a couple more topics, but they weren't, you know, exactly relevant to, to any, to, to some stuff. So, Thank you for listening, everyone. You can find, uh, once again, my name is Joshua Fredlin. You can find me at Josh Fred on Twitter. Um, in Leet Speak, as Aaron Castro likes to say, I was joined tonight by Liam Poach. You can find him at Poacher Rugby on Twitter and Craig Gurdelli. You can find him at MM Fly Half on Twitter. You can also find Earful of Dirt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Earful of Dirt. We hope to get this up as soon as possible. Thank you for listening, everyone, and go watch some rugby. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com.